All right, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 through 26 this morning. If you're new with us, we're in this series, this third week in this series that we've entitled Anchored. And what we're looking at in this series, and what we mean by that word anchored is how do you, how do I find stability when I'm encountering or in the midst of rough waters in my life? None of us are immune from rough waters. I wish it was the case, but none of us are. Some of you may be experiencing those right now. And if that's you, we want you to know already that we prayed for you as you came in the doors this morning, that God's Word would speak to your circumstances today. But all of us encounter rough waters, so how do we find stability in the midst of those rough waters? How do we make sure that, that our lives are not like just this this boat in the midst of rough waters that, aren't, that isn't anchored to anything that literally just gets tossed and turned depending on the circumstances of the seas of life. How do we experience being anchored in something that doesn't change so that we can find stability even when our circumstances are anything but stable? And that's what we've been looking at in this book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi that existed in the first century in which this letter was written. Paul writing this while he was imprisoned in Rome, while he didn't know if his life was going to be taken from him, while, while Paul was in the most extreme set of circumstances, is when he wrote this letter to this church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so as we're walking through this book of Philippians, what we're doing is, Lord, what does Your Word say about how we experience the supernatural stability in the midst of life's rough waters? So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the title of the message, How Secure Are You? I'd love for you just to answer that in your mind. Like if we were sitting across from one another in a coffee shop and I sat down with you and we were already friends and, and, and I said to you, man, how secure are you? I wonder what you would say. I wonder how you're answering that right now if I, as I pose that question to you. Because here's the idea that I want you to get today as we look at this passage of Scripture. It's this idea that the certainty of where I place my security will affect my stability. So this morning, every one of us are placing our security in someone or something. And some of us are very certain that by placing our security in that someone or something, that we're going to experience stability. And so some of us may be in this room this morning, and I hope this is true for most of us, we would say, man, my security is found in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, man, praise the Lord for that, that God has brought you into that realization but I know from time to time, I struggle to place my security in other things. Maybe, maybe some of us are like, man, my security right now is, is, in, my, is in my spouse, man. We're, we've hit a groove. We're in a good spot. We're experiencing really great harmony in our marriage. And so uh, I would answer this morning that I, I'm a pretty secure person. And the result would be as you're experiencing, man, you, you and your wife are just in a great season. Like, praise God for that. Others of us might be like, might say, man, I, I'm feeling secure today because, man, we're just seeing like our home is, is like hitting stride. Like, aren't those amazing moments? Like when it seems like, man, like, 
Our kids aren't always fighting with one another. There's not strife. They seem to be making good decisions in life and seem to love Jesus. And so we're like, right now, I would say I'm a secure person. If I was honest with you, it's because I'm looking at the circumstances of my home and I was like, man, we're hitting a stride in our home. Maybe, maybe you had a great week at work. And man, you hit all your goals and you hit all your deadlines and you're like, man, I'm just feeling great today. I'm feeling secure today. Why? Because things at work are, are working out well for you and that's awesome. Or maybe we got, we got a lot of college students that attend our church. Maybe you're like, man, it's the end of the first month and you know what? Like, like my grades are doing great. I haven't called home and cried to mom and dad yet. Like I'm a freshman. This is a big deal and and things are working out a lot better than I thought. And so you're like, man, I'm feeling pretty secure today. I don't know what it is. And I'm glad if any of those things are true to you, but here's what I also know. There's some people in here that your marriages are not in a great place. In fact, there's tremendous strife. Maybe your family, maybe you have a kid and you're like, you have a child and you're like, man, I've poured so much into him or her tried to raise them in a godly home and they're just they've wandered away from the Lord right now. Maybe you're like, man, I just lost my job this week. And it totally took me off guard and I thought I was performing well and I just got told that I don't have a job in a couple weeks and that's what your look, life looks like right now. See, as much as we can oftentimes place our security when things are going well, what happens when those things that we're placing our security in encounter rough waters? You know what happens? We find ourselves not secure people, but insecure people. Because what I want us to see today through the pages or through the verses that we're looking at this morning in Philippians chapter 1 is that when our, when our security is placed in any other person than Jesus Christ and any other thing than our relationship with Him, we are insecure people. Because every one of those things, though we don't wish it, though we don't want it, every one of those things can be taken from us. And where are we if our anchor is dropped in the things that truly are not certain? Where will we be? And I wonder this morning if many of us are not experiencing stability in the midst of rough waters because what it is highlighted is is the certainty of where our security has been placed has now revealed itself to be uncertain. And so let's look at this passage of Scripture and let's see what the Holy Spirit has for us this morning through Paul, through his circumstances. How did he experience stability? And so what I want to do this morning is give you three truths. Three truths that tell us where our security ought to be anchored. Here's the first one, and it's found in verses 19 and 20, but I want to read the verses before I share with you what the first thing is. It says in verse 19, hopefully you're there, it says this. Paul starts off this way, for I know. He's done that earlier in this first chapter already. So you know what that tells me? If I'm reading God's Word, when I come across something and the writer says, for I know, man, my ears have perked up. Because I'm like, okay, what he is about to share is something that I also need to be confident of. And look at what Paul says. For I know, know what? 
that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, what's this? The circumstances that he's in. The Roman imprisonment. The uncertainty that he doesn't know if he's going to die today and his life's going to be taken from him. We know that Paul didn't die in this first Roman imprisonment. Paul didn't know that. So he's like, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this, what I'm experiencing right now, these rough waters will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. You ought to underline that in your Bible. That phrase, I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's the first truth that our security can be anchored in. Number one, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Just say that with me. God can be trusted. Now here's what I know. Is when you're experiencing rough waters, nothing is tested more than that truth. Because we're like, God, these circumstances that I'm experiencing right now, regardless of what they are, Lord, these circumstances are testing me whether or not I truly believe that you indeed can be trusted. And remember what we said spiritual maturity was? Because really the book of Philippians helps us understand what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Spiritual maturity is not rooted in only what I know about the Bible, about who God is, about who Jesus Christ is, about who the Holy Spirit is. Like it's not just knowledge, though knowledge is good. But spiritual maturity is revealed that when, I when I'm taking what I know and I'm applying it to what I'm experiencing. When I'm doing that, I'm growing in my maturity in Jesus Christ. And when you're experiencing rough waters, and when you're tested to truly believe that God can be trusted, man, that's when you are faced with a choice of am I gonna submit to that truth so that I can experience maturity in my Christian life, or am I gonna allow the circumstances to define who my God is? Because Paul says, here's what I know, I will not at all be put ashamed. Be ashamed. And that word ashamed is an interesting word because in our English context, ashamed means something different than it meant in this Greek word that Paul uses. The New Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament in Hebrew. See, in our context, in the English context, it's interesting, if you looked up this word in the Webster's Dictionary, here's how shame would be defined. A painful emotion excited by a consciousness of guilt. So I have this painful emotion. I feel guilty about it. Guilt's results, which results in shame. And so that's how we would define the word ashamed. So when we read this verse, and we hear Paul say, I will not be at all ashamed, we're like, what confidence does that give me? Because when we hear the word shame, we think of, oh, remorse, guilt, dishonor, like, and when I look at that word and I think about the word shame, I was thinking about it this week as I was studying this word. I thought back to, I was thinking, man, when, what's a moment that I felt shame? And there's a lot of, there's many of them, but I thought about what's an innocent time in my life where I still experience shame, and I thought all the way back to first grade. So this is 1983. 
Alright, so now we're taking, Johnny, this is your life. Alright, I'm taking you down a journey. So 1983, first grade, I'm in Orlando, Florida, and I remember I had this teacher in first grade, and I thought to myself, do I say her name? Because in my mind, I'm like, she's probably with Jesus. But for the rare chance that she's not, and that she happens to see this, her name will remain nameless. But she had this, she had this thing that she would do in her classroom where she didn't want you to talk out of turn. She didn't want you to talk with her neighbor. Imagine that. And, and I feel like I got pretty good grades in first grade. It's hard not to get good grades in first grade. Um, and I remember I would get the report card uh, from the teacher, and it would have my grades, but it would always have this comment in the comment section of the report card. Johnny's doing great in school, but Johnny has a problem talking out of turn. I was in there constantly. I know it's hard to believe, but that was always in there. And so he, she had this rule that if you talked out of turn and you were not listening to her instructions, that you had to go to her desk and something would happen to you. See, she had this bright red lipstick that she had in her drawer. And what she did is she would take that lipstick and she would cake it on her lips and then she would ask you to come to her desk and she would put a big kiss right on your cheek and you would have to walk around the school for the rest of the day with those lip marks on your cheek. 1983, let's not forget. 2018, lawsuit waiting to happen, right? This is 1983. Discipline was a little different in the schools. So you know what happened? I got caught talking out of turn. So I had to go to the desk. She was caking on the lipstick. Mind you, this is in front of the entire class. Kisses me, lip marks on my face. And I remember for the rest of the day, I had to walk around. And I remember I would be like, I would remember we would be going to bathroom break time. And we were going down the hallways of that school. And I was like, man, upperclassmen are going to see me. And the second graders would walk by. And I would stand there, and I remember putting my hand up on my cheek, acting like, you know, I was just waiting. She's like, Johnny, put your hand down. What was her goal in that? For me to experience shame. And for shame to be a motivator for me to do what she was telling me to do. That's how we think of shame. Dishonor, guilt, like made to look bad in front of others. That's not Paul's word for shame. Paul's word for shame in the Greek, ashamed, has this idea of distrust or disillusionment. That's the idea of this Greek word, ashamed. So when Paul says, here's what I know, is that even in the midst of these circumstances, what I'm experiencing, that I will not at all be ashamed. What he's saying is, is here's what I know. I have such a trust in who God is and what He's doing. And then He's going to show His faithfulness to me and His power through me in the midst of these circumstances that I don't understand. Remember, Paul's not in prison because he did something against the law or, or something evil. He's doing it because he preached the gospel. And so he's sitting there in that prison and he says, here's what I'm going to remind myself of, that even in the midst of these circumstances, God can be trusted that I am not at all going to be in a place where God's not going to fulfill what He promised in my life. I can trust it. I'm not going to be disillusioned. It's interesting that this word is mentioned again when Paul is at the end of his life, when he's in Roman imprisonment again, and he's not going to get out this time. 
And he writes in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says this, I am not ashamed. Same word. Like I'm not, I'm not struggling with trusting God. I'm not disillusioned that I wasted my life by, by trusting God and giving my life to God. No, no, no. I'm not ashamed. Look at what he says. For I know. Same phrase as what we find here in Philippians 1.19. For I know whom I have believed. I know I serve a God that can be trusted. And I'm convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. It's interesting that in this verse, Paul uses this banking term that listen, the deposit that you put with God, your life, God's never going to waste it. I don't ever have to wonder that by giving my life to the Lord and placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and living my life for Him, that someday at the end of my life, regardless of how long that is, that I'm going to on my deathbed or if God takes my life instantly, that someone's going to look at my life or I'm going to look at my life as God takes me home and say, man, my life was a waste. What I've found is there's many people, unfortunately, who see that, but it's because they've lived their life for themselves. It's because they placed all their security in things that won't last. But what Paul is saying is, here's what I know in 2 Timothy 1.12, now I am at the end of my life. I know I'm not getting out of here, but here's what I know. I'm not ashamed. I look at my life and I never doubt that God can be trusted. I look at my life and I don't see it as a waste. I look at my life and I know that God's going to fulfill every promise that he made even after my life is over. See, that's what God wants to grow in us in the midst of rough waters. He wants to grow in us this reality, this truth, and us believing it more and more that God can be trusted. And lest we think of Paul as this superhuman Christian, right? Look at what he says in verse 19. He actually says, hey, church at Philippi, here's what I want you to know. Your prayers are paying off. Because I'm able to know this. I'm able to have confidence in this. I'm able to have security in this because you're praying for me. See, really, until we get to this verse, Paul mentions a lot how he's praying for them, but now he mentions how he's thanking them for their prayers for him. And the way that we continue to trust God that He can be faithful to what He promised. That He is faithful to what He promised. The way that we believe that is by us praying for one another. Remember how I said that oftentimes when we're in the rough waters, how we can experience tunnel vision and be totally self-absorbed? Like we want everybody to pray for us, which is what we need. But what we also need to do is we need to remind ourselves, like maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, I'm writing, I'm writing on this card just something that I'm struggling with and I'm needing the staff and the elders to pray for this. And that's amazing. But have we, do we think when we're asking for prayers for things that we're going through, are we also thinking, you know what, there's probably somebody else that needs my prayers. See, Paul says, man, if I'm going to grow in understanding that my God can be trusted, man, I'm so thankful for your prayers, church, at Philippi, so thankful 
And notice that he also refers to the way that he's able to believe that God can be trusted, the way that he's able to drop his anchor in that reality, even though he may not feel like it. The way he's able to do that is because of also the Holy Spirit. Like that's the amazing thing that in rough waters, you look at your life and you're like, man, there's no reason I have to trust God in the midst of this. All my friends are telling me, seriously, you still believe and you still believe that God is faithful to do what He promised? You still believe that God is the one that you can turn to? Seriously? You still believe that? And you know what's awesome? It's in those rough times that even though those times aren't awesome, what those times oftentimes do is they show you the power of God at work in your life. Those of you sitting here right now who are going through things, I look out at the crowd. I just had a conversation with someone this week talking about how in the world they made it through a difficult circumstance in their life that none of us would wish on ourselves and how there was that supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that kept saying to them, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. I want you to grow in this reality right now, even in the midst of the pain. God can be trusted. Here's the second truth. Number two, look at what it says in verse 21. Many of us who've been in church for any length of time know this verse very well, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Here's the second truth that our security needs to be anchored in. It's this. Not only can God can be trusted, but Christ is my everything. Christ ought to be your everything. Christ was Paul's everything. And though it doesn't come across as clear in the English as it does in the Greek, when you look at the Greek in this passage of Scripture, I know I've been talking a lot about that, but there's times where you're like, man, the English just doesn't explain this as well as what the New Testament was written in. There's no verb in this sentence. So literally, it could be translated this way. For me to live, Christ. Like Paul is literally saying, my life is in Christ. My life is all about Christ. Like if you were to look at my life, I could sum it up in one word, Christ, Jesus. See, that was a truth that gave Paul stability in the midst of rough waters. Was this reality that Jesus, you are my everything. And have you found it in life? If you've lived any time of life, that God, even in His grace, when our security is placed in things or in relationships, and that sometimes what God does to remind ourselves, wait a minute, that the most secure place that you can place your trust is in me, is sometimes God removes some of those things. That job that I was placing all my security in and God removes that and you're like, God, why in the world would you do that? i got to provide for my family. I have to, Lord, you've called me to do those things. You've called me to provide. I've, I've been faithful and God removes that. In the moment, you don't understand why he's doing that. But one of the ways that we can latch on to is, wait a minute, what God is wanting to grow in me, even in that time when he's pruning things away, is he wants me to grow in a greater way in understanding that Jesus is my everything. And the only way that I would grow in understanding that is for the Lord in His providence and, and, and in His sovereignty removing that and saying, yes, in the moment that's painful. 
But the result is, is you're going to grow in a greater way that I'm your everything. That's why I said spiritual maturity is not just based on what we know, but it's taking what we know and it's applying it to the experiences that come in our life so that we can grow in understanding. Wait a minute, I've grown in my life. I've been a believer now for three, four years and I've grown in understanding through rough waters that God can indeed be trusted. That I've grown in understanding as God has removed things and in the moment I didn't understand what it was and I'm still trying to understand what it was. But here's what I do understand is God has grown me in understanding that Jesus is my everything. He's my everything. Here's a third truth and it's found at the end of verse 21 through verse 26. Would you look at it with me? Paul says, for me... To live is Christ. And Christ is my everything. He's my identity. He's my friend. He's given me a purpose to follow Him. And it's interesting that every one of those things lasts forever. I don't have to ever worry about them being taken away. I don't ever have to worry about my identity and who I am and that I have a Father that I can cry out to who is the perfect Father. See, some of us in here, we're not fortunate enough to say that we had dads who were present, but what an amazing reality to know that God is the perfection of my earthly father, not the reflection of it. That I have a new identity. I'm part of the family of God. That's forever. I have a forever family that I've been given a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that his name is Jesus, and that I can grow in fellowship with him every day as I spend time with him more and more. And by doing that, I experience more and more joy, even in the circumstance that may not bring happiness. I experience supernatural joy. Man, I have a, I have a purpose, and it's to follow him. But this third thing he says in verse 21, he says, For me to live Christ. Then he also focuses on the other alternative. And to die is gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Like if I'm able to live, then I get to keep serving Jesus. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Like almost like it's out of my hands. Like if I die, man, that's awesome. I know where I'm going to be, I have a certainty in that. If I get to live, man, I know that I'm going to continue to serve Jesus and make an impact in others' lives as I understand my purpose. Remember last week? To declare the Gospel and to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit through my life, right? But then verse 23 says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Like, man, I'm, I'm not sure which one I want to choose. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Like he's like, I look at it and for my life personally, man, how awesome to finally be with Jesus. But I also know that I still could have work to do if I stayed on this earth. And then in verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith. So evidently something happens between verse 24 and 25, Right? Verse 24, he's like, man, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden in verse 25, he's like convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all. So somehow he got some news that his life wasn't going to be taken from him. Look at what it says. For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, 
you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And here's the third truth. And this is an awesome one. Just like the others were. The third truth that my security can be anchored in, that I can be certain about, is this. The best is yet to come. Can you say that with me? The best is yet to come. And what I think is interesting is, you know, oftentimes in life, we, we look at, man, being with Jesus, like we look at it and say, man, I can't wait to be with Jesus, which is an awesome thing to declare, right? But we oftentimes look at this life as, man, this life is worthless. I mean, I don't even want it. It's like, I don't want to live anymore. I just want to be with Jesus. But I find it interesting that Paul's in a Roman prison with nothing but dirt and filth around him. And he's like, going to Jesus is far better, but I'm not sure. I'm kind of torn between the two. Like every one of us would be like, take me home, get me out of this mess, right? And I remember when I used to listen to preachers growing up and they would talk about heaven and they'd be like, man, I so long for Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus comes back right now in this moment? And I would sit there, can I just be transparent with you? I would sit there and I'd be like, that's really not what I'd be super pumped about. Because I'm like, man, I'm in college, I'd actually like to get married. Like to experience what it's like to be married. Like to experience what it's like to have kids. Like to live life a little bit. And so I would, as a young person, looked at it and say, well, I understand you're 80, I'm like 20. Like, yes, you've lived your life. Of course you want to see Jesus. But man, I'm 20 years old and I have yet to be married and I have yet to have kids and I have yet to live some life. And you know what? Neither one of those things are wrong. Like what Paul is saying here is he's like, you know what? Living this life with Jesus on this earth, there are joys to it. There are blessings to it. That when you're experiencing a sweet season in life, enjoy it, celebrate it, understand who's given it to you. That when you get married, enjoy it. When you have kids, enjoy it. When you have grandkids, enjoy it. When you get that promotion, enjoy it. When you have a great month at school, enjoy it. Live it for Jesus. Live in your purpose. Like there's joy in living this life and understanding what you've been called to and seeing the results of it and seeing the impact that you're making in other people's lives. Man, there's tremendous joy in that and fulfillment in that and satisfaction in that. And Paul's saying, like, like that's not a bad thing. Thing if it happens that I still live. It's not a bad thing. But what gives me confidence to live even right now in a Roman cell where I probably can't even see the light in front of me and I'm chained to this different guard every day, what gives me confidence in the midst of circumstances that anyone else would look at and say, man, you ought to be just asking Jesus to take you home. What gives me confidence that if God continues to give me life to continue to serve him is because I know what my eternal reality is. And when I understand the best is yet to come, it gives me a stability to live life in the present when things don't look great. There was an illustration that I 
remember hearing when I was growing up, and it's funny, I've talked with other people, and I'm like, haven't you heard this illustration? I thought everybody's heard this illustration. And they're like, no, I've not heard it, so I want to share it with you because it's not new to me. But there was this family, and they had this funeral for their grandmother, mother, great-grandmother, depending on where they fell in the family. And they had everyone come to that funeral. Is Oftentimes you have your friends and your church come to a funeral, and the, as people went up to the casket to look inside the casket and they saw that elderly woman laying there, they thought it was interesting that she was laying there with her arms crossed, but she had a fork in her hand. I've never seen that at a funeral. And as the people walked by and saw the casket, and you know in those instances where you want to ask something, but you're not sure if it's kosher or not to ask it? And, but you always have some brave souls that do, and... So as people were asking, like, man, I'm so, so sorry for your loss, but praise God that your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother's with Jesus. But can I ask you something? Can you tell me about the fork? And they're like, oh yeah, let me tell you about the fork. Because when our mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, she loved to entertain and she loved to have guests over and, and she was always looking to fill up her table and to make food for everybody that was there. But she always used to use this phrase that before dinner was over, she always used to say, save your fork because the best is yet to come. Speaking of dessert. And so as soon as they were told that, they connected the dots. See, in that simple phrase where the mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, depending on who was telling the story, and her saying the best was yet to come when she would serve a meal, speaking of dessert, they understood there was a greater meeting in what that woman understood. Because she understood in living her life that the best was yet to come. And that fork clenched in that old woman's hands in that casket symbolized the truth that Paul is getting across today. That we live our Christian life. We live in the midst of rough waters. We encounter difficult circumstances with a reality, with a truth that give, keeps us anchored in the midst of instability so that we can experience stability. That the best is yet to come. And when I look at that reality... And I understand, man, there's coming a day where I'm going to be free from evil. There's coming a day that I can look forward to where there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more sin. That I'm going to be free from evil. Man, that reality, that eternal reality that I get to look forward to gives me stability in the present when I understand that I'm going to be a finished product when God calls me home. That I'm going to be like Jesus, what it says in 1 John 3. That I'm going to get to experience His righteousness. That I'm no longer going to have to struggle with my sinful desires. No longer have to struggle with the sins that I may struggle with now. But I'm going to be perfect. And I'm going to have the understanding of Jesus. That there's going to come a day where I'm going to be able to look at this life that I lived on this earth and be able to look at it clearly the way that God sees it and be able to say, man, God, I didn't understand exactly what you were doing when you removed this or removed that or you allowed me to go through this. But man, look at the people that are now in heaven because of what you did through my life. God, I never would have grown in understanding who you are in that way if I not, would have not gone through this. See, there's coming a day where we're going to be a finished product. We're going to be free from evil. And there's coming a day, man, and I want us to look forward to it today.
and be reminded of it today. The best is yet to come because we're going to be forever with Jesus. Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 talks about that day where Jesus Christ comes back to rule and reign forever and ever and it says He wipes every tear from every eye. Like it's over. Like the best is now. And we look forward to that day and that certainty of that reality for every follower of Jesus Christ is meant to provide us stability in the midst of the present. You know, I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. I couldn't help but think of Ephesians chapter 6. And if you're not familiar with that passage of Scripture, Paul, who is also the author of that letter to the church at Ephesus, is writing about what we've been given in Christ and he's describing it in terms of armor that a Roman soldier had. Many of us know that. And it's interesting that in verse 15 he says this. Listen to this. He says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the Gospel of peace. And I think it's interesting that he mentions these shoes that a Roman soldier would wear to illustrate the peace that's experienced because we put our faith and trust in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That I put my faith that Jesus Christ's perfect life and death and resurrection is going to save me for eternity, have a relationship with Him, have an identity, have an eternal friend, have a purpose in life that's greater than anything that I've experienced otherwise. Like, the Gospel is the thing that gives me peace. And everything that we've looked at today is a result of the Gospel. See, for a Roman soldier, they were given these boots called caligas. And at the bottom of these boots, there were these cleats. Much like what a football player would wear today. And the purpose of those was so that when they battled, they had stability and they didn't lose their footing. And I think it's also interesting that these Roman soldiers, that these sandals did not have a lot of padding in the feet. Like all, all of the emphasis was at the bottom of the sandals that they would have a sure footing because one of the reasons why they weren't super comfortable is because Romans knew you don't run. You don't run. You're a Roman soldier. So you stand firm and you have a sure footing so you can encounter the battle. And of all the things that Paul could have used to illustrate what we've been given as sure footing, he says, man, it's the Gospel. And I believe what God wants us to hear today as we close this morning is that where your stability is and where your footing is, where your foundation is, ought to be anchored in a belief that you are growing more and more in that God can always be trusted. He can always be trusted to be faithful to you and to show His power through you. Man, our, our, our stability needs to be anchored 
that Jesus is my everything. And even though it's painful when God begins to prune things away, the whole purpose is so that I can bear more fruit and grow in a greater way of understanding, Jesus, You're the thing that I want more than anything else. And that eternal reality that, God, the best is yet to come. And so when I understand that, God, it even gives more color and more clarity to how I live my life in the present. God never intended a believer to run. To run away from the rough waters. To run away scared. To not have confidence in what they've been given. Because just as Roman soldiers don't run, God wants you to understand this morning, you don't run! You stand firm. Not in your strength, but in the strength given to you by the Holy Spirit. By a God who can be trusted. By a Jesus who's your everything. By an eternity that's secure in heaven forever for you. And so what God wants us to do this morning is to once again anchor ourselves in the things that will never shift, that will never change. And the result is peace. Wholeness. As we'll look at later in chapter 4 a peace that surpasses all human understanding. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and I encourage you as I'm going to pray here in a moment just for you to examine your heart. Say, God, I'm reaching out to you today. Maybe some of you are here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection for your sins. And Man, today's the day of your salvation. You can call out to God right now and ask forgiveness of your sins and say, Lord, I'm placing my trust in your love for me through Jesus Christ. And you can be a follower of Jesus Christ even today. And there's nothing more than I would love to do than to talk with you. My wife and I will be in the Winston room, which is the room right off of the lobby. We'd love nothing more than to pray with you and talk with you about that. But for the rest of us, I wonder if we just need to do inventory in our hearts and say, God, where have I been placing my security? Because if it's placed in anything else, then my relationship with you and who you are, Lord, I am not secure today. I am insecure. God, I thank you so much today for the reminder from your word on where our security is found. Where our peace is found. The confidence that we can have in you and what you've done for us so that we don't run. But we can say, I will not at all be ashamed. I don't have to be disillusioned in my walk with you, Lord. So God, would you give us eyes to see who you are in a greater way, even when the storms of life are raging upon us. God, we look to you, not the waves. We look to you, not the storm. Lord, you are our peace. And we ask for that strength through the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.